If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Leviticus chapter 7. Leviticus 7, 11 through 21 will be our text for our devotional challenge this evening. Or you can feel free to use the text on the back of your order of service. Perhaps you were struck by that scripture reading. It's a little bit different than most of our scripture readings, right? But as with all of scripture, it is inspired by God and is useful for us in a variety of ways. So we want to consider Leviticus 7, 11 through 21 briefly this evening. Paul, the apostle Paul writes in Romans 5, 1, some 1500 years or so after Leviticus was penned by Moses. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning in his sermon, Pastor Steve reminded us that one of God's gifts to us for our spiritual nourishment and our ongoing walk with Christ is the gift of a variety of promises. And it is this promise that the Apostle Paul gives to us in Romans 5 that really forms the backdrop of our reflection on Leviticus 7. That is, we have the promise that if our trust, if our reliance is on the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone, then we have this confidence that we have peace with God. To reflect on this peace that we have with God, to be reminded of this peace, to be refreshed by the reality of this peace that is ours, if we know Christ, I want us to consider for a few moments the peace offering that was required of the Israelites and is recorded for us in Leviticus 7, as well as more of the details are found in Leviticus 3. And what I have in mind here is reflecting on how the peace offering prepares the way for what we're going to do in a bit, and that is to celebrate the Lord's Supper and remember and rejoice in the peace that we have with God if we are in Christ. The first thing that we need to keep in mind as we think about Leviticus 7 and its connection with Christ as our peace offering and how the peace offering prepares the way for the Lord's Supper is we need to realize that the sacrificial system was a very complex system. The peace offering was not the only offering that was required of the Israelites. The first eight chapters of Leviticus go into great detail to describe no less than five sacrifices that were required regularly of the Israelites to maintain the peace that they had with God. The sacrifices are various Four of the five are blood sacrifices. They required the slaughter of an animal and the offering of either a part or all of that animal on the altar outside of the tabernacle or the temple. 
One of those offerings, the burnt offering, was offered in total. And I mention that because the burnt offering is an important part of the offering of the peace offering. Not all of the offerings were offered with the same regularity. The burnt offering and the grain offerings, these were required two times a day on behalf of the community. Other offerings were required in specific instances of sin, in specific instances of being cleansed from an illness or some sort of oppression that had come on the Israelites. There was a whole host of reasons these sacrifices needed to be offered, and they were offered day after day, year after year, or centuries. But the writer of the Hebrews tells us that all of this this whole complexity, all of these sacrifices that were being offered day in and day out were all pointing to one thing. These sacrifices were a shadow. A shadow pointing to a greater reality. The writer of the Hebrews writes in chapter 10, verse 1, and that greater reality is the offering of Christ Himself. Not the offering of thousands upon thousands of animals, but the offering of one Savior for His people. This entire system pointed to this one who came to offer Himself. The sacrifices anticipated the sacrifice of Christ for you and for me. The Lord's Supper which we will share in together momentarily, reflects back on that work of Christ. Sacrifices look forward. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we look back. Not only do we have the complexity of all of these sacrifices and the whole sacrificial system that God placed upon the Israelites, but just a brief reflection on the practice of the peace offering. When we talk about the Israelites offering an animal for their atonement or for peace or to account for some sin that they had committed, it is difficult, if not impossible, for us to understand precisely what was going on. So as we think about the peace offering, I just want to give you a quick picture of what would happen when an Israelite would bring his peace offering to be offered at the tabernacle or at the temple. The worshiper would bring his offering to the priests and he would be required to lay his hands on the head of that animal. Whether it was an ox or a lamb or a goat or a ram, depending on why he was offering that peace offering, he would lay his hands on that sacrifice in order to, in some way, identify himself with that animal. So as to say, what is about to happen to this animal should be happening to me. But I'm offering this animal in my place. And then the worshiper, not the priest, but the worshiper would slaughter that animal. He would kill that animal for his own sacrifice. The priest would catch that blood 
in a bowl and he would splash that blood on the altar outside of the tabernacle or outside of the temple. Then what would happen is there would be select parts of that peace offering that would be taken out of the animal and offered on behalf of the worshiper on the altar on top of the burnt offering. And it was the choicest parts of the animal that were taken to represent the fact that the choicest belongs not to man, but to God. And then a portion of that sacrifice, that peace offering, would be given to the priest for his food. But the peace offering is completely different from all of the other blood sacrifices because the remainder of the offering was not burned on the fire. It was not sent outside the camp. But rather, it was for the worshiper and those who were there worshiping with him to eat, to enjoy. And depending upon why he was bringing that offering, either he had that day to eat it, or he had that day and the next to eat it. And then whatever he did not eat was discarded. And we see here a hint, of course, of the Lord's Supper. Right? When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are not eating the body of Christ. We are not drinking the blood of Christ, which, consuming the blood of that sacrifice, was expressly prohibited for the Israelites. But what we are doing when we take of the Lord's Supper is we are taking a symbol, a reminder of the body and the blood of Christ that was shed on our behalf. What were the occasions of the peace offering? Why would an Israelite bring this goat or this sheep or ox or ram as a peace offering? Well, the passage that Val read for us earlier describes three occasions on which an Israelite would bring his animal as a peace offering to the Lord. One is, as we see in verse 12, for a thanksgiving or as a confession offering. The Hebrew term that is translated in many, if not all of your English translations, and in my English translation, as thanksgiving really has a broader definition than what we think of when we think of thanksgiving. When we think of thanksgiving, we think of gratitude, of what we do towards late November, gathering with friends and family and eating a meal together and thinking about things that we are grateful for. The Hebrew word here translated thanksgiving has that in its definition, but it is really broader than that. And confession is probably a better understanding for why the Israelite was would have brought the peace offering. On one side of confession, in this instance, the Israelite might be coming to confess his sins because of some sickness that has come upon him or some enemy that is pursuing him and he sees in his mind there must be a connection between this sin and this 
oppression that has come upon me. So I'm going to come before the Lord and I'm going to confess my sins and offer this peace offering to seek peace, to seek relief from what is oppressing me. But on the flip side, the Israelite might come and offer his peace offering as a confession of gratitude for the alleviation of suffering from an enemy that is no longer pursuing him, who has been defeated, and he confesses that only by the mercy of God am I at rest, am I at peace. And so he would offer his peace offering when we come to the Lord's Supper. We are reminded, are we not, that we are to regularly confess our sins to the Lord. We come to Christ by faith, turning away from our sin, confessing that we are sinners. But as an ongoing practice in our lives, we are to be confessing our sins before the Lord. And we are to examine ourselves and see if there would be any sin within our lives that would prevent us from taking of this supper together. But we also confess when we take this supper that it is God who has relieved us from the distress that was ours when we only knew a life of sin. And we thank the Lord for what He has done in sending the peace offering of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only would the Israelites offer the peace offering as a means of thanksgiving, but also for a vow. This is closely connected to thanksgiving. But what I mean by a vow is, you remember the story of Jacob and how he was a swindler and he deceived his brother and Esau threatened to kill him. And so Rebekah appeals to Isaac, send Jacob away so that Esau will not kill him. And as he is fleeing, one night, Jacob makes a vow to the Lord. And he says, if you will return me to my homeland, then you will be my God and I will serve you. And after the years roll by and Jacob returns back to his land, back to his home, what does he do? He offers a peace offering because God has brought him back. God has, so to speak, kept up his end of the deal, if you will. And so Jacob offers a peace offering. Perhaps the most famous besides Jacob's peace offering is the, the offering that Hannah offered. You remember Hannah? In 1 Samuel 1, it was barren, desperately wanting a child. And what did she do? She made a vow to the Lord. And she said, if you will give me a son, then the vow that I make to you is that he will serve you all the days of his life. And in God's sovereign working, what did he do? He blessed her with a son, Samuel. And so what did Hannah do? Hannah gave a lavish peace offering of three oxen to celebrate what God had done in giving her this son. And so this is these are the kinds of vows that an Israelite might take. And when they came to fruition, the right response for him would be to offer a peace offering of gratitude to the Lord. 
But then we also see in verse 16, a free will offering. The peace offering would be offered as a free will offering. A spontaneous act of generosity. Just simply responding to God's great grace and mercy in the life of the Israelite. And we see here in this vow offering and in this free will offering connections to the Lord's Supper. We have, if we are in Christ, we have vowed ourselves to the Lord. That is, we have committed ourselves to Him to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ for Him to not only be our Savior, but to also be our Lord. And we are reminded that we are to be His servants. We are to follow after Him as we take of this Lord's Supper together. But we take of this Lord's Supper not only as individuals who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we gather together as a church family. And we have made a vow to one another. To look after one another. To be looked after to one another. To love one another. To challenge and encourage one another in our following after the Lord. And as we gather around this table together, we are reminded of the commitment that we have made, the covenant that we have made to join together and follow the Lord together. I mentioned the word covenant. And that was a fourth occasion on which the peace offering would have been offered. It's not mentioned here in Leviticus 7, but we see it in a couple of different locations. We see it in Exodus 24 when God has established His covenant with Moses and the people coming out of Egypt. And out of response... To confirm the covenant, there are offered peace offerings to the Lord. And a meal is shared to celebrate the establishment of this covenant. And then a generation later, as the second generation is preparing to enter into the promised land, again the covenant is renewed and what happens? They offer peace offerings to the Lord. As we take of the Lord's Supper, we do so in the context of a covenant. A covenant with one another, yes, but a greater covenant than that. A covenant not like the covenant that God made with Moses and the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt, but a better covenant. A covenant in which we all know the Lord if we have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A new and a better covenant that Jeremiah looks forward to and that the New Testament writers reflect back on so that Jesus can say on that night when He was betrayed, as He shared that supper with His disciples, this cup is the new covenant in My blood. And as we come and share this supper together, we do so within the context of the covenant that God has made with us. A covenant to be our God. A covenant for us to be His people. A covenant by which He says, if your faith is in Christ, you are at peace with Me. You are one of My children. But what about the requirements of the peace offering? 
These are the occasions when the offerings would have been offered. What about the requirements of that peace offering? Well, we read over in Leviticus 23 that like all of the sacrifices, the peace offering had to be perfect. It had to be without blemish. And clearly this is a pointer to the Lord Jesus Christ. One, the one who knew no sin, who became sin for us. The one who was, as John declared, the spotless lamb of God. The lamb who has come to take away the sin of the world. But not only was the sacrifice to be perfect, but the worshiper, when he ate of that sacrifice, he was to come as one clean. Not one who had been made unclean by touching a dead animal or some other form of bodily uncleanness that would come upon him that we read about in Leviticus, but he had to come clean. And if he did not, if he ate that peace offering in an unworthy manner, in an unclean state, then his sin would be upon him. And this clearly anticipates what the Apostle Paul says is our requirement as we come to the table. That we are not to come unclean. First, that means that we must come as those who had been cleansed, not of our own power, but by the Lord Jesus Christ. But it also means that we are to come as those who are examining ourselves, who are confessing our sins. This this peace offering was offered in the context of atonement. Almost always, if not always, the peace offering was offered along with a burnt offering. Why is this significant? Because the burnt offering was, if you will, the chief of all of the offerings in the Jewish sacrificial system. And it it was the burnt offering by which atonement was made between the community and God, between the individual and God. And peace could only be had with God if atonement was made. So it is for us. We only have peace with God if Christ has made atonement for us. If He has been put in our place and taken upon Himself our sin. So as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we take of it to celebrate the peace that we have with God. We take it to celebrate that there is a more perfect, a greater sacrifice who has been offered on our behalf. We take it not lightly, but conscientiously, both recognizing humbly that we do not deserve what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. But we also take it in a rejoicing way, rejoicing that because God has sent our peace offering the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can have peace with the Father. We also take it expectantly, looking forward to that day when our peace offering will return for us.